Hey buddies, hey pals, it's the Skewer Podcast. The Skewer is a live monthly news review the first Wednesday of every month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago. Did I say mustache weird? Maybe. Uh, We got op-eds, we got debates, satirizing the news of the previous month. It's fantastic. This particular show was recorded July 5th, 2017. I hope you like it. What's up? Uh, my brother is a rock musician in Los Angeles, and he was like, I want people to get more excited at my shows. And I was like, you got to wear the horse head, man. And he was like, no, everyone will think that's lame. And I was like, you got to do it, man. I'll prove it to you. So... Welcome to The Skewer. My name is Erica Dreisbach. I'll be your host tonight through the weathered, weary, strange world of the news of the last month. And now it's my job to open up the show, in which, in this piece, I will not refer to a certain someone by his name, because I don't think he deserves for me to speak his name. I'm going to refer to him as Donald John, which are his legal first and middle names. So I think I want to break up with my therapist because therapy has worked, and now I'm super happy and super sane. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, I want to break up with my therapist because every session, maybe every other session, she'll pause thoughtfully and she'll say, wow, you are really hard on yourself. And I'll be like, yeah, Marilyn. <laughs> Uh, But it's also that since November, I've had constant anxiety mixed with despair. This feeling that I am a frog, and the water in the pot is getting hotter, and my frog therapist doesn't seem to notice. I mean, the American nuclear arsenal is in the hands of a psycho who regularly insinuates that my city, our city, Chicago, where we are right now, that it should be under martial law, not Little Rock, Arkansas, which is objectively the most crime-ridden city in the United States. No, Chicago where the Black Lives Matter movement thrives, where activists shut down Michigan Mile on the biggest shopping day of the year just so that a nation would speak Laquan McDonald's name, and where the last time Donald John tried to show his ass at a rally at U of I, we ran him out of town. Chicago. So I tell my therapist that I continue to march in peaceful demonstrations, even though I fear that those demonstrations could be met with state violence. And Marilyn says, is your desire to put yourself in danger a reflection of your fears from childhood? (laughs) Wake up, Marilyn! This is real! Good people right now are deported, harassed, turned away at our borders. Bad people are encouraged to take arms against journalists and those who dissent and those who freely exercise their religion. The White House press pool had to hire sketch artists because on June 23rd, cameras were barred from the daily briefing and this nasty-ass health care bill in the Senate, which is ultimately a scheme to undo the best of Barack Obama's legacy. Oh, Donald John wants to piss on that legacy like it's a Moscow mattress. Mark my words. 
He is about one week away from claiming responsibility for the death of Osama bin Laden. And on that note, let's remember that Barack Obama is, without doubt, the most popular president of the 21st century, including on Twitter, especially on Twitter. Barack Obama has three times as many followers as Donald John. Barack Obama's most basic tweets, so basic, they wear leggings and a puffy vest and hold a Starbucks Frappuccino like Happy Mother's Day. That gets one million likes. <laughs> Meanwhile, Donald John's wrestling beat-up CNN tweet, his most popular in recent memory, that topped out with less than half that. For all the hype and heat about his volcanic Twitter feed, he generally gets 10% of what Barack Obama gets for, like, a picture of his dogs. <laughs> Donald John's feed is actually more on par with Hillary Clinton's. Let that sink in. I hate any time I hear from the media or from a person's mouth that we live in Trump's America or reinforcement to the underlying logic that, well, he won, so he can do what he wants. He does not own this country, or this era, or even the presidency. The United States presidency is a global seat of power held in common by the American people. And in the face of the permanent diarrhea stains he's leaving on that seat, it is so important for me to come each month to the skewer where we acknowledge what is happening and still find ways to talk about it and laugh. Uh, some good news this month. From abroad, naturally. Uh, <laughs> Theresa May and the Tories lost the parliamentary majority. Woo! Nigel Farage, Faragi, I actually don't know how to pronounce his name. Nigel Farage is a, sure, sure, Farage is a person of interest in the FBI investigation into WikiLeaks, Russia, the Trump campaign, which they're the same thing, right? Because they all take orders from the same person, right? I actually thought that would be a laugh line. <laughs> and uh, this month it was Gay Pride Worldwide. For everything that's gross and commercial about the modern pride parade and the merchandise and the de-radicalization and the erasure of the history of resistance to police brutality and the excess and the straights playing gay for a day and politicians getting their shallow photo ops, let's not forget that when we were born... There was no notion of gay pride, only gay shame. And no corporate entity would want to be anywhere near a parade, let alone sponsor a float. Some things do get better. Happy Pride, everyone. We got a great show for you tonight. But first up to the mic, my co-producer and your friend and mine, Mr. Tom Harrison. Yay! Before we get into op-eds and whatnot, I'm here to deliver our first of the evening voicemail op-ed. Now, if you don't know what that is, it means I'm going to take out my little ring-a-ding phone. I'm going to call up a real person and leave him a real voicemail right now in this, in this dang room. <laughs> Pretty cool. Now, I was going to call the NRA, but um, there... Customer service line does not allow voicemails, but we did find a publicist line. But when you go to their voicemail box, it only allows you to leave a voicemail if you are a reporter with a deadline. And I am too scared to lie. <laughs> so instead, I'm going to be calling uh, 
our good friend, Senator Dick Durbin. You may recall that earlier today, the Democratic Party, in an email blast, showed a bunch of uh, bumper stickers that they wanted their constituents to vote on, which should they make. One of them had uh, an interesting slogan, Democrats, because like, have you seen the other guys? I'm going to tell Mr. Durbin what I think of that. <laughs> so let's get him on speaker. It's going to be a few rings until we get to the voicemail, but it's working. Because they're so wrapped. Yeah. <laughs> I swear it goes to voicemail. Thank you for calling the Springfield office of Senator Dick Durbin. Please leave your name and telephone number. I'm not and gonna. A member of our staff will get back with you as soon as possible. Thank you and have a great day. Hey, Dick. Uh, my name's Tom. I live in Chicago, Illinois, 60618. I just saw today that your party had a pretty uh, bad slogan on an email blast. It said, like, Democrats, have you seen the other guys? I don't like that. I propose a better slogan. Um, how about Democrats, the party of universal health care? And if, and if you're like, Tom, we can't use that, it's not accurate, I propose make it accurate, Mr. Durbin. <laughs> And here's a whole room full of people who agree with me. Has anybody here called Congress today or called a government agency today? Okay, that's no problem. Uh, if you do it before the end of the show tonight, I will give you a drink. Uh, and let me tell you, calling Congress, if you think it's like calling like customer service, it's like, oh, it rings and uh, no. Let me tell you, it's more like calling your mom back when you just got off the phone with your mom and you're like, oh, ooh, and you dial her again. And after two rings, she's like, hello. And you say, mom, you got to pick me up at four. And she's like, okay. And that's the end of the call. It's so super simple. So what I want you to do right now, we had two senators, Senator Tammy and Senator Dick. Um, we're gonna give, I'm going to take out your phone now, for real. If you don't actually want them in your phone, just humor me. Just pretend. Um, Dick is in my phone under Dick. And his number is 202-224-2152. And then we got Tammy. And Tammy who is a badass, she lost her legs when her Black Hawk helicopter that she was piloting crashed in Iraq. No, nothing. Okay. I'm cheering. <laughs> her number is 202-224-2854. If you call those numbers now, they don't have voicemail. But if you can show that you tried calling any government agency, I will give you a drink at the end of the night. And with that... 
Let me introduce again Tom Harrison, co-producer and founder of The Skewer, as well as host of the Studly Comedy and Culture Podcasts, You Don't Understand, and Shuffle Quest. I was not supposed to say Studly. Somehow it made it into the final draft. I'm sorry. Tom Harrison! Yeah, I was about to say, specifically next Studly. Well, here I am, regardless, with the first op-ed of the night. Uh, And I'm going to, for like the first time in literal months on the skewer, not focus on like national shit and just get hyper-local. Yeah, I know, it's good. This month, there was a fire in my neighborhood, Avondale, just, just north of here. A store, not two blocks away from my apartment, caught fire and burned down. Now, the morning it happened, my fiancé and I were walking to the train. We were on our way to work. You know how it is. We heard an emergency vehicle go by. We didn't know which one. Ambulance, fire, fire uh, engine. It had the siren. It was going. We were like, huh, wonder what idiot they're going to. You know how you make fun of people when you hear sirens? <laughs> then we heard a second. Uh, then a third. Then a fourth. Uh, then we looked back in the direction of our apartment, and we're like, oh, there's a million smoke coming out of our house zone. (laughs) Yeah. I spent the entirety of that morning at work nervously refreshing all the local news sites, hoping that that fire didn't spread. Finally, at 11 a.m., it was declared under control. And that night, we went to check out the damage. Folks, this building... Was not was not burned. This building was gone. It was just a fucking wreck of twisted, charred metal and rubble. There were these huge construction machines. I don't know what they're called. I don't think they're called cranes, but they have like the big arms, you know, and it had like a chomper at the end. Well, it was taking this chomper, and it was just picking up multiple burned-out washing machines in one go and just hucking them like a madman into a big old hole. It it ruled. This other time I went and looked, it had an attachment on the end like a fucking enormous medieval mace. It looked like some shit from Dark Souls you'd use to kill a god. And it was just, they were literally scraping the bricks off the shell of this building with this huge-ass arm. Yeah, I watched that shit, no doubt. I binged that shit like a hit new piece of Netflix original programming. Everyone in the neighborhood did. Like, my nephew is into cars to a harrowing degree, like all small children are. Uh, And he once told me, unprompted, all of the possible reasons a car would have its hazard lights on. Uh, This took five minutes. (laughs) He was three. But watching this, watching this whole situation, I was like, I get it. I want my dick to be that. The store in question was a furniture store uh, called FAMSA, best known, perhaps, for recently introducing a flailing arm tube man, or air dancer, if you will, that took up, let's just estimate, um, 100% of the sidewalk, and was insanely loud. Fair warning, the next segment of this piece is basically Tom's Neighborhood Adventures, so just strap in for that. Um... (laughs) Next door to FAMSA, we got Los Dos Leones, a restaurant that looks for all the world to be closed at all times. 
Because it is at best lit with like a single Christmas light way in the back. Uh, this place serves budget seafood in Chicago. Always a great bet. And their menus are about 50% spelling error. Now, for years, for years, that space was taken up with a defunct Polish restaurant with these ghostly, still-set tables filmed over with a diaphanous sheen of dust that was for sure a front. Like, I imagine you would go in and a pierogi would cost $100,000 and it came with a coincident, totally coincidental free $100,000 donation to your totally above-board Polish cultural enrichment fund. Famsa's other next-door neighbor is an inscrutable voodoo church, the window of which contains the following, which I assure you is somehow not a complete list. We got a single random strobe light just strobing its heart out 24 hours a day, Um, a wooden carving of the Buddha, multiple wooden carvings of cigar store-level Native Americans, a statue of a dragon, a wooden statue of the Virgin Mary looking normal, a wooden statue of the Virgin Mary looking like a goddamn racist-ass Sambo, like a fucking Mr. Popo from Dragon Ball Z looking Mary with red lips and everything, which, like, I understand that the black Madonna as a concept is a thing and that it's not offensive, but I cannot stress enough to you how not that this Mary is. Which would be insanely bad by itself. But the baby Jesus she's holding is super white. (laughs) To round out this window, we got in the back row three statues that are life-size, and I'm talking like six-foot-tall man-sized statues. One is a Franciscan monk. He's got the hair. He's got the brown tunic holding the little baby, looking real magnanimous. The second's our boy Jesus. You got to have Jesus. Yeah, I have a boy. Uh, the third is a fucking uh, wizard. <laughs> I'm not pulling some kind of trick on you where I'm going to be like, actually, when you think about it, isn't Jesus the most powerful wizard of all? No. I mean, a Gandalf-looking wizard hoisting an arcane orb with which he's going to cast magic missile or some shit. Now, what's inside this voodoo church, you may ask me? Well, all that's visible through the open door is a smattering of extremely leathery men sitting in the dark watching a flat-screen tube TV. And I have not investigated further because, because I hate curses and do not wish to be cursed. FAMSA, the store that burned down, isn't even the only furniture store on the block. Two doors down, we got Liana Furniture, the owner of which spends conservatively 100 hours a day putting up and adjusting huge flags of his current sales. One block southeast, we have Andy's Furniture, a hugely aspirational name for a bare, concrete-ass room that just, that just plunges hallway-like down this building, lit with these nude fluorescent bulbs that I can only assume were manufactured by a man... with a huge fetish for making everyone look extremely sickly. Where plain white mattresses are are, uh, 
<laughs> stacked in these two parallel lines, and you can buy one for $80. They cart out these same, same two mattresses every single day of the year. Guys, these mattresses look fucking terrifying. <laughs> It is as though there was a dermatologist that just hung a fucking untreated human corpse outside the office every day for 20 years. <laughs> Take one block north on Milwaukee and you get to the Polish part of the neighborhood. It's like flipping a switch. Just, it just changes completely. And we got some good-ass shit in the Polish part of the neighborhood. We got Kurowski sausages. Famous. We got Staropolska Restaurant, renowned. We have Andy's Liquors, I assume a different Andy from the furniture store. Very cool with selling to obvious alcoholics. There are also these two Polish bars right next door to each other. Uh, one called the Podlasi Club. Uh, the other, unnamed. They open at, from what I've gathered, uh, 8 a.m. and are filled with the dourest men ever born. And we've been laughing tonight because I'm hilarious. <laughs> but the fact is that any of these places I've listed could share FAMSA's fates. And I don't mean that they could like literally light on fire and burn down, although that's technically true. I mean that everything about this neighborhood, everything fun, everything funny and unique in itself, everything like that could just be gone in an instant. I've lived in Avondale for about four years now, and I've seen so many businesses die. So many dreams just be launched and immediately fail. Like this year, a coffee shop opened up near my house called La Plaza 24. I suppose La, La Plaza 24. Uh, it was a coffee shop owned, by, owned and run by two Bolivian brothers. And they decorated this place like it was the tweeest fucking wonder emporium you've ever seen. <laughs> they had these antique cabinets with like baubles in them, uh, hanging on a jewelry tree. It was delightful. They had murals on the wall painted on coffee sacks. Like, just, just for a moment, imagine the most delighted you've ever been. <laughs> that was it. And they also baked their own Bolivian pastries, which if you went inside, they explained to you with an eager excitement that made you believe that this was the thing they wanted most to do in their lives. I had one of these pastries, and folks, it fucking ruled. This is like exactly what you want in a neighborhood, right? This is exactly what a neighborhood needs. It's a small business run by the locals, serving locals, offering something unique and valuable and created by the locals. If you go to La Plaza 24 now, you will see a for rent sign. The doors are locked, the windows are dusty, and the interior, once put together with such intention, is in shambles. I don't know where these brothers are. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know how much money they lost. I imagine it's a lot. And if you continue down Milwaukee Avenue... There is an abrupt change as we transition from the dollar stores and empty storefronts of Avondale into your friend and mine, Logan Square. Now, you know it. We've all been there. We know how it is. We got the restaurants. We got the, the craft beer. We got the nightlife. We got the art scene. And every year, Logan Square creeps a little bit up Milwaukee and steps a little closer on Avondale's toes. FAMSA literally went up in flames but metaphorically, this entire neighborhood is just kindling, waiting for a spark. 
I see these places bloom, struggle, and die, while in Logan Square, pinos and pallets, a place where alcoholic white yuppies can get drunk and paint terrible paintings of, like, Godzilla's and Boba Fett's. That thrives. I don't know what'll happen if Logan Square keeps moving up Milwaukee Avenue. I don't know what'll happen if it ignites all these places and consumes them. I don't know what'll happen if it's all burned away. I mean, I, I'll just move out if it gets expensive. But it never really meant anything to me other than a cheap place to live. But, like, an affordable Polish-slash-Latino community near public transit is fucking crucial for this city. Logan Square is not going to be a sustainable place to live for anyone but the richest of hipsters for long. And hell, I'm not innocent. I'm not saying I'm better. I don't fucking contribute to Avondale. When I share art with the community, I don't do it there. I do it here. When I go to hang out with my buds, I come to Logan Square. I go to Hopewell. I go to Revolution. I go here. And I can stand up here all day and say gentrification is bad, fuck the bougie shit, but man, I got to come correct all those places I listed fucking rule. They're great. <laughs> and FAMSA, the store that burned down, that caused all this, it's a Mexican chain in a primarily Latino community. But here's the twist. When I needed a new couch, I went to FAMSA and I sat in every couch in the damn place and every single one of them fucking sucked. They were terrible couches. So what's the solution when the places threatening to gentrify your community out of existence are like actually good? What's the solution when introducing quality businesses to a community comes at too high a cost? What's the solution when there are local minority-owned businesses that do launch, do excel, do give power to the people, and they fucking flop anyway? What's the solution? Kill the bourgeoisie? Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know how that got in there. I was going to end with like a who knows kind of thing. I, I've been hacked. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pretend like I didn't say that so I don't get murdered by goons in my sleep tonight. <laughs> Chicago's changing, and so is the world. Inequality tightens its grip around humanity's neck every day. And if we're talking about fire, why don't you look overseas at the Grenfell Tower fire in London where nearly 100 people were burned to death in their homes because it would have cost a few thousand extra pounds to make it safe. I mean, this situation that I'm talking about, it's a lot less intense. Don't get me wrong. No one, no one got hurt when FAMSA burned down. But the flames threaten these neighborhoods just the same every day. It can happen in an instant and devastate so many people. And we're focused all the time on, like, federal-level shit these days, and rightly so, because it's stupid. But our neighbors and our communities and ourselves are threatened just as much every day, and it's so easy to forget about that. And I don't know the solution. I don't have anything for you. I don't really know how to help other than, like, patronize your local places. I'm not an expert. I'm just me. But there's one thing I do know. The P-tape is real. <laughs> Thank you. Let's give it up again for Tom. And... Let's give it up for the P-Tape. Never forget the P-Tape. Next up, we've got the other co-founder of The Skewer, Eric Ruel, a writer, performer, and artivist from Detroit, Michigan. 
He has appeared in a variety of live lit shows between Chicago and the Motor City, including the Paper Machete, Wright Club, and the Secret Society of Twisted Storytellers. Give it up for Eric Rua! Thank you, thank you. It is good to be back. Hey, Skewer. How's it going? I don't like to be touched. Physically, emotionally, in general. So much so that I'm the proprietor of a new type of affection called arm's length cuddling. My girlfriend does not like it. But creating distance is also a safe bet sometimes when it comes to me taking in the news because I'm able to hold it here and look at it objectively from every angle. I want to understand fully why Taylor Swift and Katy Perry can't get along. But does it affect me? Yes, it does, deeply. But I try not to let it to. It's almost impossible to remain detached today. My friends and family are being impacted all the time by current events, and I genuinely care about some of them. Some events, though, hit me harder than others for reasons I'm not always sure of at the time. You may have heard the term already, but a hung jury is just a euphemism for a judge's testicles. They don't make verdicts and are pretty worthless in court. Bill Cosby, inventor of pudding, received a mistrial this past month over a case in which he was alleged to have raped Andrea Constand in 2004. However, as of May 2016, 58 women have accused Cosby of similar actions and crimes. 58 is 50 more people than I would send a Christmas card to. Once you hit like 10 accuser, accusers for any crime, should you even really need a jury? I couldn't get 10 people to arraign Tom Harrison on charges of jaywalking if I wanted to. I'm not very personable. <laughs> if everyone in this room conspired to tell me I was a fucker of goats, I'd probably have to do at least some self-assessment, am I right? <laughs> like, damn, I don't even remember the last time I saw a goat. Oh, right, it was two months ago. Why am I suppressing this? What have I done? I do feel guilty, though, for having supported a monster. I didn't know Bill Cosby was a rapist in 2013 when I saw him perform at the Wilbur Theater in Boston. Cosby was already a mess at the time by the, his, by the looks of his interviews and late-night TV appearances, a meandering husk of gibberish and spittle. In the twilight of his career and life, my friend and I decided we should try and see this comedy legend once before he either quit touring or died. The latter was more likely, we thought. And so we bought tickets a week before the show and hastily planned our road trip. There was no warm-up music, opener, or even a hype man over the mic. The lights just, gin just dimmed, and out came Cosby. He walked over to a carpet, laid center stage with a table and a lamp on top of it. There was a plush green chair that had the words, Hello, friend draped over it. Don't get me wrong, there was still a creepy grandpa vibe, but we bought it. A few months later, comedian Hannibal Burris would be the first to bring the accusations of sexual assault to my attention. To be fair, I get a lot of my news from comedians, but this was certainly new news to me, and I couldn't take back that applause. Cosby continued to do stand-up for another year and a half while we, the people, figured out how we felt about it. There were those on the side of the mounting number of survivors who would come forward 
And then those who would dig their heels into claims like the women were money grabbers, that the statute of limitations had passed, or the there's no way Dr. Huxtable could have done such a thing shell game. I guess I shouldn't be surprised that people aren't able to separate the man and the character. I'm not even Christopher Mintz Plassey, and people still call me McLovin all the time. In fact, I find myself guilty of this same act, not always being able to separate one from the other. I had just finished my first semester in college at DePaul when I was told that a teacher at my high school had been accused of sexual harassment of a female student. The story I was told over that winter break was that the teacher had hit on a student who had been working in his classroom after school on a project. He made implicit suggestions that she make him feel better for the divorce he was currently undergoing. This teacher was beloved by the community. He was a baseball coach, played guitar at venues across town, and was well-respected by the students in his class. The teacher was quickly taken out of the classroom and over the course of the next few months had been moved to a middle school where he had finished the academic year before moving on to work at the local community college after another year. There were no charges filed against the teacher, no press in the local paper, nothing on the exterior that revealed that was some sort of problem. I mean, what's so sketchy about that? Nothing to see here, folks, the administration said. Even today, I can't find the woman who originally reported it and no way to confirm or deny any of the story without addressing them directly about it. The teacher in this story wasn't just my teacher in high school. He was my favorite teacher. Motherfucker is one of my security answers. Had him all four years and saw him as a father figure. Even I'd find myself there working on projects after hours, consulting him about life decisions and how to handle situations. He always had a line from a movie queued up and was always reassuring. For a teenager, teenager, that meant a lot. I've had lunches with this man to ask him about teaching advice and been over to his house since. I still have trouble coming to grips with what he meant to me and what he did, but he did it. I believe he for sure did it. There's not many thought catalog posts about navigating the duality of mankind. Bill Cosby is a rapist. Woody Allen is a child molester. Elmo is a goddamn narcissist. <laughs> Just because there are heroes doesn't make them any less likely to be terrible people. It's like that moment you learn that your parents weren't actually wrapping your birthday presents behind the locked door. You can't unsee or unlearn that kind of thing about a person. You're scarred in some way. I don't know what it was like being a person on the jury for the Cosby case. Reports range from clockwork orange to full metal jacket, with a deliberation room small to the point where people had to pace in circles while others spontaneously combusted into tears. But 53 hours over six days and the jury still couldn't come to a unanimous decision. With a final vote of 10 to convict and two to acquit, I am in shock that they couldn't come to a conclusion. He's guilty even for those people who choose to remain ignorant. He is. And while there is certain to be a retrial, the damage still has already been done, for the survivors especially, but also for the fools that loved them before they were criminals. Thank you. Eric Ruel, everybody. Uh, uh, Eric had told me what the topic was going to be, 
And then today said, you know, things might get a little heavy. And I had forgotten that the topic was Cosby. I thought he was talking about, I was sure that it was the, the UK election. And, and I was like, how heavy is it going to be if he's talking about the UK election? And I said, don't worry, I'll just bring out my new Cockney character, Audie the Chimney Sweep, to lighten things up afterwards. And then hearing him, uh, and then I was like, uh-oh, that doesn't fit in with Cosby. What if I awkwardly cobble together a segue? <laughs> with that, Pratik Srivastava has appeared <laughs> 2017's San Francisco Sketchfest, the Laugh Your Asheville Comedy Festival, the Desi Comedy Festival, and the Arch City Comedy Festival. Pratik is the co-founder and producer of Simmer Brown, a comedy collective that has been selling out shows since May 2015. Pratik also co-produces the food-based show Snack Attack Comedy. Give it up! How you guys doing? Having fun? Yeah. So uh, my topic, I'm going to talk about uh, India versus Pakistan. By the way, that's how you say Pakistan. It's not Pakistan. It's Pakistan. Like to Pakistan. Then you notice. (laughs) Thank you. So uh, some of history's greatest sports rivalries. The Boston Red Sox versus the New York Yankees. Or the Chicago Cubs versus the Chicago White Sox. Or the People versus O.J. Simpson. Those are some of... (laughs) But one of my favorites, and this is a sports rivalry, is India versus Pakistan. Sports, what are you talking about, Pratik? Yes, I'm talking about the great sport of cricket. Are we familiar with cricket? It's kind of like baseball. If you remove everything fun about baseball. (laughs) And what do you have left? You have a sport that lasts for days. That is cricket. I'm glad I can finally do my cricket jokes. They, they never... <laughs> so I'm going to talk about the uh, latest India versus Pakistan rivalry. It was the 2017 ICC cricket tournament. Uh, and just to give you some background on this tournament, uh, it took place in England, the scene of the crime. <laughs> Fuck England, am I right? Like, if you go to an Irish bar in Chicago and you say, fuck England, like, you'll get so many free drinks. Like, I should... They believe in the struggle. But just to give you, like, you know, because a lot of people don't understand, like, you know, especially in America, people are always like, oh, cricket, if it's not football, we don't care. Just to give you pure numbers, you know, considering all different types of sports, you know, Super Bowl, World Series, or even WrestleMania, that, that's a sport too, whatever. Just to give you some numbers, the last Super Bowl, Viewership for the last Super Bowl was 111.3 million. The average viewership for this cricket championship between India versus Pakistan, average viewership was 202.3 million viewers. Counting online streaming, over 400 million views. Pornhub don't even get that many views. Step up your viewership, Pornhub. Can't wait for that cricket like parody on Pornhub. It's called Crickock or something. <laughs> Ooh. So a lot of people are saying, you know, oh, India versus Pakistan. How did that rivalry start? 
1947, the partition was created between India and Pakistan because uh, followers of the Islamic faith, Muslims, and Hindus were not getting along. Before this partition were created, people say the average number of casualties were 100, excuse me, 1 million. So that, those are numbers of people that supposedly died before this partition was created. I'd like to see the New York Yankees put up those numbers. <laughs> That's before the partition was even created. One million. But this rivalry exists even today. It's very subtle now today. It exists even here in America. For example, my parents, my, my Hindu parents, uh, you know, I, I wanted to go to Pitchfork a couple of years ago. I grew up my hipster beard. My father started sending me ISIS pamphlets, you guys. <laughs> so that means that Nick Servastava, my father's name, Googled ISIS and printed out ISIS pamphlets from work. <laughs> like he's doing that shit at work. But it's not just Hindu parents that are that you know, ignorant about you know, their kids. Muslim parents do this too. This, I have this on record for my Muslim friends. Anytime a Muslim teenager would have, you know, like acne on their forehead, just a, one single acne on their forehead, Muslim parents would go, hey, you look a little Hindu today. Like, that's, that's the subtlety of this rivalry. It's, it's very cute. But it wasn't cute at the end of the game. You know, so, so this tournament happened. Pakistan won. And it wasn't cute. You know, in Belgrade, you know, the roads, the Belgrade and Melton Roads, uh, right after the rivalry, there was rioting in the streets. Was it, you know, like drunk Cubs rivalry? Like, oh, we get drunk on Old Style and kick over a red-eye box. No, it was nothing like that. We're talking about, like, firecrackers and small missiles being launched at people. It would be, it would be slightly more comical if there weren't real nuclear missiles pointed at each other right now. But it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like that subtle. We're talking about like major road damage. We're talking about 20 to 25 people just injured. And, you know, people, people in Britain, in London, they got mad. But they're, you know, for people in London and England to get mad, considering what they did when they colonized those countries, <laughs> it's kind of like England is like they managed the McDonald's and then that McDonald's got bought over by Burger King, and then everyone went to work at that Burger King, but then England, that manager, has to clean the toilets at that Burger King now. That's how England feels. <laughs> Not cool, England. Not cool at all. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, this also, this rioting extended uh, to India as well. Uh, 13 were arrested in India right after the championship ended. 13 men. But at first, they were arrested for excessive celebration. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of harsh, right? No, then it was discovered that those 13 men were in the Kotagu district and were uh, trying to vandalize Hindu shrines. You know, it, it became very religious, you know, it became very personal. One of them uh, lit a firecracker off the, uh, a very large Vishnu deity that was at the entrance of the Kotago temple. Uh, 
you know, there was so much pyrotechnics involved with that Vishnu deity that they thought that that Vishnu deity joined the Blue Man group. Because Vishnu is blue, you guys. I know some of y'all took a Hindu 101 class in college. You know, it'll take, it'll take a drunk, and this is a study that was done by me. It'll take a drunk Cubs fan, 15 old styles, uh, before they knock over a mailbox. These, these Muslim riders, they were stone cold sober. Because you can't drink. This type of behavior, you know, it's, it's unacceptable. And what, what, what can we do? How, what, what do we take away from this? Can we, is it, is it maybe, is it the sport itself? Because cricket is outdoors. It gets very hot. It can be kind of tense. If only there was another sport where South Asians dominated that was indoors in well-air-conditioned conditions. The spelling bee, perhaps? <laughs> no. Because they'll start riding over the spelling bee, too. No, that, that word is in Greek root. No, it's Latin. And then they just take off each other's heads. Can't wait to see that on ESPN 8 because that's what the spelling bee is on. It's on ESPN 8, you guys. We have to change this behavior, though. It's not up to CNN reporting about it. It's not up to BBC UK reporting on it. It's about us. We have to step up because there hasn't been this much disappointment in brown behavior since Bobby Jindal took office. And we as brown people, we have to be better than Bobby Jindal. Because he is the one Indian that needs to go back in the fucking cupboard, you guys. All right, I've been Prateek. Thank you so much. Well, one way to enjoy the skewer all month long, not just once a month, is to get the book. The skewer book. We've got a couple copies right over there. I'm in it. Eric's in it. Tom's in it. You know, lots of great people are in it. It's over 200 pages packed full of comedic, topical humor goodness. There's also some stickers and some buttons, and there's our email list. So come check it out over there. And then uh, for our next, our next great dope-ass op-ed is Arish. He is a Chicago-based comedian who has opened for national acts like Tim Heidecker, Hassan Minaj, and W. Kamau Bell, and has performed on stand-up showcases like Hot Tub with Kurt Brownoller and Kristen Schaal, Andy Kindler's particular show, and Chicago's Comedians You Should Know. He's the co-producer of Solid Hilarity and the creator of Monkey Wrench, which kicked off June 30th. Give it up! Uh... Hey, everybody. Um, hey, hey. Uh, uh, we had last week, uh, sorry, we had last month the testimony by James Comey. Uh, he testified in front of a Senate panel on uh, his dealings with uh, Donald Trump and being fired by him. Uh, it revealed many things. Um, Trump's clumsy attempt to uh, extort him mafia style uh, by uh, 
well, not quite extort, but to, uh, to persuade him mafia-style by whispering to let it go, let it go, uh, over dinner um, as they discussed the uh, investigation of Michael Flynn. Uh, it also uh, described a lot of slapstick sequences in the, uh, in the White House where um, uh, Trump would signal for the rest of the people he was with to leave, and uh, they would lean against the door to check in on the meeting that he was having privately with Comey. Rince Priebus was literally leaning in against the door uh, as they were having these meetings uh, and then was told by Trump, waved away, uh, to go back outside. Um, and my final uh, moment, uh, a good sight gag, uh, was heard in the testimony as well, um, James Comey was so disturbed by these interactions, uh, at one event he actually took to hiding among the drapes. Uh, he noticed that he was wearing a blue blazer and that there were blue drapes over there, and he uh, proceeded to camouflage himself. Uh, and with someone like Trump, whose brain has been eaten up by dementia quite a lot already, uh, I think that's not a terrible strategy. But... But crucially, uh, what did not come out of this testimony, as many hoped, uh, was that that Comey would declare there had been some sort of direct obstruction of justice on the part of Trump. Um, He would not commit to saying that Trump ordered him to let uh, Trump ordered him to let the investigation of Michael Flynn go. he instead told he was told this. It was intimated to him. Uh, in fact, most of his testimony concerned making the FBI look good, uh, that it was nonpartisan to the Democrats when there was pressure, as he alleges, from um, Loretta Lynch uh, and pressure from Trump now. Um, but I think there was something revealing to me uh, about the uh, kind of reaction, the adulation all this testimony got, despite there not being the biggest of relevations there. Um, now, I'm 100% for seeing Trump uh, prosecuted and, uh, frankly, persecuted for his criminal activity. Um, but the obsessive focus that stories like Comey's and Russiagate get from a certain class of folks, um, I kind of sum it up as a lot of middle, uh, upper-class professionals, uh, echoed by a lot of pundits on Twitter. Uh, there's, there's this sort of cohort that puts an almost monomaniacal emphasis on impeaching Trump and driving him out of office. Uh, even though... With the limited presence of Democrats that we have uh, in office now, uh, makes that pretty much impossible politically, uh, not until 2018. Um, so while I'm painting these folks with a broad brush, I do think there is a, a chunk of people out there whose anger hinges not so much on Trump and his regressive economic agenda and the scapegoating and persecution of marginalized groups, but on the fact that he's just unprofessional, uh, that he doesn't do his job properly. Um, And in Comey, uh, in the reaction to Comey, we got a chance to witness this pent-up desire for professionalism literally expressed as sexual desire. Uh, Last month, in an article entitled, James Comey is the Sex Symbol America Needs, journalist Lizzie Crocker described how, as evinced by a handful of tweets, Comey uh, and his testimony had created a collective stirring of loins across America. And that, to quote... By the end of his public testimony, James Comey was not just hot, he was eminently fuckable. Yes. <laughs> take that in. Take that in, folks. The sex symbol for the resistance. Um, uh, other than uh, Crocker's fetish for Comey being six feet, eight inches tall, uh, she mostly emphasizes uh, his behavior as a uh, as making him an object of smoldering, uh, smoldering lust. Um, and everybody knows what they say about guys who are six feet, eight inches tall, right? 
Look at that six feet, eight inch tall freak, right? That, that's enormously tall. That is ridiculous to me that anyone could fetishize that section. But anyway, anyway, I digress a little bit there. Uh, mostly what uh, Crocker emphasizes is his grace, his dignity, his integrity, um, and his lack of partisanship. She repeats this over and over again, the lack of partisanship and how much it draws her in. Uh, she, uh, to quote, says, he embodies certain qualities in society that we all lust after, integrity, emotional complexity, and quiet but certain confidence. Um, now, uh, Again, Comey is the head of the FBI, and I feel Crocker's, you know, take is valid. I'm open to all sexual perspectives and opinions. I think that's fine. But I don't think she does enough to appeal to the class of people she's really trying to reach. Uh, I don't think she fully describes uh, James Comey's uh, sexual appeal, um, especially to the, uh, the American class of suburban and urban professionals who are no doubt turned on by qualities like integrity, confidence, Prudence. Just imagine how quickly you'd sail through those job interviews if you could convincingly sell those attributes, right? You'd just right on through. Um, clearly what they want. Um, but everyone also likes their kink. Um, and, you know, if you live in uh, these big houses with manicured lawns or chic apartments with high-rises, uh, you need some kind of really dirty, filthy kink to fill those spacious closets. All right? So... Um, let us describe the kinks uh, that Kami can deliver because he does not fail to deliver in this regard. Okay? Uh, Kami, all right, like, I mean, let's get into it. Let's get into the really kinky stuff, all right? You want uh, twisted uh, role play? You want serious mind games? Kami delivers with a sexy, sexy series of undercover sting operations. Uh, such as the one he conducted uh, through the FBI on the deeply mentally ill uh, Sammy Osmakak. Uh, uh, let's uh, back up here, okay? Uh, uh, let's go to something a little bit more vanilla to break this in. You know if you're with somebody and they don't know, like, rope bondage, right, and you can't explain to them all the tying of notes and stuff, what do you do in that situation, right? You use saran wrap as a substitute because if you wrap enough saran wrap around someone, it functions just as well, all right? We've all been there. Um, but to come back to Sammy's situation make this analogy apply, uh, the FBI wanted a guy to play the role of a terrorist for their psychosexual imperialist fantasy, but the guy in question had no tie to international terrorists. Ugh. What to do? What to do? What to do? What to do? Kami and his boys were up to the task. The FBI invested three months of effort providing Sammy with the guns to use in a martyrdom video. Uh, a fake car bomb to detonate, and even the taxi money to reach his destination to plant the fake car bomb because he couldn't afford a new battery to replace the old one for his beat-up 1994 Honda Accord. That's pretty sexy. Come on, guys. That's hot. That is... Ooh, that is hot. That is very, very hot. Um, uh, and it's also... They're being a bit of a sugar daddy. I think you should give them that. Um... And uh, let's be fair, um, not everybody could get off in that scenario. I want to acknowledge that. That's fine. Uh, Sammy couldn't get off. Uh, he's doing 40 years in prison. Um, and uh, why stop at that? Uh, when you've got those who are poor, too poor to afford a car, um, you can make that a target, but you can go further. Uh, why not those who can't afford a home? Um, that is what the FBI did uh, in the case of several homeless men where they uh, busted them uh, for their claimed associations with ISIS. Uh, they even, in, uh, in one case, gave an informant uh, the money to pay for uh, 
knives for a particular homeless man who had been muttering about a terrorist plot he wanted to carry out. Sexy stuff, guys. Um, in one sting, uh, the would-be terrorist would uh, set up with a very, very sexy situation, female informants who uh, wanted to sleep with him. Um, the man then claimed he had an AK and had uh, planned to go to Syria to join up with militants. Unfortunately, he was trying only to impress the ladies. None of that story was true whatsoever. Sorry, guy. Uh, only James Comey gets to impress the ladies. So um, <laughs> you got your sexy sting operations. Um, but you may be wondering, I've mentioned informants a number of times. Uh, these are super sexy acts. But why aren't Comey and the FBI themselves carrying it out? Um, the informants are doing a lot of work. We want the big dogs involved, of course, though, because that kind of kills the intimacy otherwise, right? Um, so uh, the reason, uh, but you have to look at the informants carefully. Are they really people or are they just tools? Um, in this situation, uh, in situations where, and often in these terrorist cases, uh, the informants are immigrants. And in those cases, they can have their status under FBI rules used against them um, as leverage for getting them to cooperate. That's right. Uh, the informants are getting these guys to dress up and act like terrorists, not just for the pure fun of it. Uh, they're doing it to avoid deportation. Again, sexy stuff, guys. Come on. Where's my, where's my business professional class people out here? Anybody? There's no bourgeoisie in the audience tonight? Oh, my God. Um, so what we have, in fact, is uh, a, a, uh, a whole domino effect of power, a beautiful domino effect of power uh, that is... Uh, propelled by crushing civil liberties. Um, as we learned with Lizzie Crocker, there is nothing as sexy as the destruction of civil liberties. I, there's nothing as sexy as power. That's, uh, that was her quote. Sorry. That, um, I'm getting things a little twisted. I'm sorry. sorry. Um, and uh, anyone can potentially be an informant under Comey's expanse of the FBI's definition. 15,000 are currently being used uh, by the FBI. According to a manual updated under Comey, uh, Comey's tenure, uh, they can potentially recruit minors as well as journalists, clergy and lawyers. Um, for all we know, uh, there could be somebody here tonight who's an informant. That is hot. That is pretty hot, guys. Come on. That is peak voyeurism right there. Right? That is peak voyeurism that we're dealing with. Um, and you should expect nothing less from James Comey, a man who once said there's no such thing as absolute privacy in America. Okay, so we've got role plays, we've got power plays, we've got voyeurism. How about a little bit of dirty talk? Okay, uh, how about this for dirty talk? Uh, Black Lives Matter is the reason we have crime escalating in America. Uh, that was the case James Comey made uh, a couple of years ago, uh, 2015, saying that there was a Ferguson effect that was causing police not to do their job. Um, not the police themselves not pursuing to do their jobs. Uh, he also went on to say that, uh, that uh, there is a uh, crisis in the Midwest of people joining up with ISIS, um, yet he still had to do all those sting operations. Dirty, dirty stuff, dirty, dirty stuff. He's willing to go out there and talk to the people about this. All right, so we've gotten to a lot of sexy stuff. But guys, I've saved the best for last. Child pornography. Under James Comey, uh, the FBI investigated, uh, the FBI busted uh, a child porn site called Playpen. Uh, to quote Trevor Aronson of The Intercept, investigations of uh, child pornography under... Uh, uh, Mueller, Director Mueller, who's now doing the investigation against Trump, the FBI shut down child porn websites immediately, believing allowing any distribution of images and videos would further victimize the children 
who had been exploited. But under sexy, sexy, sexy James Comey's tenure, uh, the FBI continued to operate Playpen for nearly two weeks in an effort to surreptitiously install tracking software and computers of its users. Child pornography was available from FBI servers during that period of time. Two weeks of the FBI running that sexy, sexy online center for child pornography distribution. Oh my god, guys. Are you not turned on? Um, uh, Am I perhaps being a little too unfair that these would uh, attract the bourgeoisie, that this would be what they get off on? Um, but uh, I, think, uh, I think you have to uh, consider, consider it. Uh, to be part of the professional class and then to not condone such behavior, uh, or to rather, rather the case that they're trying to condone such behavior and that they're not turned on by it, if that's uh, the case, um, you have to wonder why they put such a priority on this fierce desire to return to normalcy. Uh, to end our national nightmare, to uh, borrow a phrase from when Nixon was transferred over to, uh, when, when Nixon was impeached and we brought in uh, that lovable James, uh, when we brought in uh, President Ford. Um, uh, to only care about the dumb and stupid ways that Trump conducts himself and, not how, and only how he hampers the functioning of governing elites, uh, rather than the literal threat that he poses to the health of the nation through the repeal of Obamacare, his support for the Republican effort to destroy public sector unions, or his pursuit of warfare in Syria and Afghanistan, and probably most heinous of all in Yemen, where we're conducting a, uh, we're not conducting, but we are supporting uh, a covert war by Saudi Arabia against uh, the Yemeni population where we're nearly committing genocide, a policy that may have been way well uh, a policy that may have been in fact continued under uh, Clinton if she had been elected um, and we are in a situation where we uh, we have things like uh, our imperialism in Iraq, a country we've been destroying for nearly 30 years, either through warfare or through sanctions um, you know, maybe there are bigger concerns uh, than just getting him impeached uh, so maybe the professional class, at least in their acquiescence, doesn't want these, does want these twisted things to be conducted, just as long as it's in private and we never talk about it, as long as they get theirs. Um, but uh, I do have to regretfully inform you, I do not think James Comey is the sexiest man among liberal uh, professionals these days. Uh, James Comey was the hot guy for June, but apparently now people only want to fuck uh, the guy with the CNN logo for a head. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, uh, fun fact about Gerald Ford he is our only adopted president and also he's a former male model what passes for sexy among white men (laughs) Gerald Ford uh, our last op-ed reader of the night is Jillian Ebanks oh you're in for a treat. Jillian Ebanks is the co-creator and co-producer of the monthly showcase BAPS, BAPS, a comedy variety show for women of color. Follow her at Curly Hair No Care for pictures with hella filters and her everyday inner ramblings about the struggle. Hashtag stay woke. Jillian! I wasn't sure what bio I gave you, and I was like, yep, that's the bio I gave her. <laughs> Uh, it's all true, though. Okay, guys, I, um, I have a riddle for you guys, okay? A New Yorker, a vegan, and a CrossFitter walk into a bar. Who outs themselves first? 
CrossFit. CrossFit. Actually, it's neither of them. It's the woke ally behind the bar. Um, <laughs> we're at a time right now where being an ally is trendy, and that's cool. That's cool. We need allies. I am here to talk to you guys about how to split your time between being an ally and making sure everyone knows you're an ally because <laughs> the most important part of being an ally to a marginalized voice is making sure everyone knows you're an ally to the marginalized voice because if you're an ally to the marginalized voice but no one knows, are you really an ally? <laughs> you know, if you don't have a Facebook. So step one is obviously activate your Facebook if it's not already activated. Step two is friending all of your ignorant friends from back home, but also all of your new uh, people of color friends from the city you live in, right? Uh, step three is changing your profile picture to a Black Lives Matter <coughs> meme. <laughs> and step four is arguing, right? Uh, because nothing says being an ally like arguing with people from high school on Facebook that you haven't seen in eight years. It's like, we're going to argue. And then after you argue, you're going to make a status about the arguing, and it's going to go something like, if you're not open-minded and you voted for Donald Trump, please defriend me. And then you're going to do a follow-up status. Oh, my God, I cannot believe I have to spend Fourth of July with my Republican family because everyone cares. No, uh, it's important that everyone feels bad for you for having closed-minded family members, like, because we all care that your family voted for Trump. Um, we don't. <laughs> we don't. Don't put that on my newsfeed. Like, I wish my newsfeed was just, like, gifts and memes all day, but, like, people go on Facebook and, like, have opinions. <laughs> like, ah, mm, I'm serious. Uh, another way to be an ally, like all of your people of color friends is like pro statuses, like, you know, pro choice, pro black lives, pro gay, pro trans. But when you like them, you also have to comment it. And when you comment it, you're going to put the fist emoji, but you make sure it's the white fist emoji because you don't want to appropriate the black fist emoji, right? Because uh, then it's like, then it's like, oh God, am I Rachel Dolezal? I don't want to be Rachel Dolezal. Nobody wants to be Rachel Dolezal. No, seriously. Don't be Rachel Dolezal. That's crazy. I'm sad I know her name. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's a name that I wish I didn't know. But I know, and I probably will know that name forever. And it just makes me angry that I can't burn it out my memory. Anyways, uh, some other ways to show that you're an ally. Reblog articles that weren't written for you. Uh, just reblog them and be like, yeah, I agree. No one cares. Uh, I have a multiple choice question <laughs> for you. Uh, you were at a party and the song Niggas in Paris or Down for My Niggas or My Nigga comes on. What do you do? Do you A, just hum along and dance? Do you B, sing all the words except for the N-word and just close your lips? Do you C, replace the N-word with words like brother? So if this was Niggas in Paris, you would be like, what's Gucci, my brother? What's Louie, my brother? Someone has done that in my presence. Uh, or do you D, go to the bathroom or get a drink and let your black friends enjoy the rap song in peace without getting anxiety that they're their white friends are going to say the N-word, and then they're going to have to punch you in the middle of this party that they paid $20 for on a Saturday. Yeah. The answer is D. <laughs> uh, Facebook 
message privately your people of color friends and tell them that you were offended by their status. When after the women's march, they put a picture of a black woman with a sign that said, 50% of white women voted for Trump. And you thought it was appropriate to message her and say, don't you think that's being a little bit divisive? Don't you think that's what Donald Trump wants? And when your person of color friend replies, I really don't care. This is your mess. Clean it up. Reply, well, it's not my mess because I'm Jewish and I also voted for Hillary Clinton. That is how you be an ally, folks. Uh, And then continue to like all her statuses, even though she's tried to defend you in real life. Um, Oh, my gosh. Let's see. How else should you be an ally? Ooh, in work on Monday, go up to your black friends and tell them how much you love 444. Because maybe they want to talk about the Calvin Harris and Lord album that came out. Maybe they don't like Jay-Z. Maybe they want to talk about the new Paramore album that nobody's talking about. But I relate to it so fucking much. But no, we're not going to talk about 444 because to be honest, I don't have title. And if you do, you should share your subscription with me. Because I don't like Jay-Z. There, I said it. I'm a terrible black person. I'm sorry. I also don't want to talk about Lemonade or Insecure or Atlanta or the Black Panther preview. But you know what I want to do talk about is the fact that they're saying Game of Thrones is going to be filmed like every episode this season. Have you guys heard this? They're saying that this new season of Game of Thrones, every episode is going to be like 90 to 100 minutes. Like 120 minutes. Yes! I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited, but no one's talking to me about that. They want to talk to me about the new season of Insecure, which also looks hella good, but it's like 30 minutes, and I, I don't care, okay? I don't, I don't care about Insecure. I do care about the Black Panther preview, but I don't want to talk about it with you guys. Okay. Cool, next. Um, it's important to remind your friends that you are an ally at all times, even when they're not talking about it, right? So, for example... If your friend posts a Facebook status that says something like, I don't know, I got in the Uber this morning and my Uber driver told me, good morning, Jill, is this you? And I said, hey, my name is Jillian. Who told my Uber driver he could call me Jill? You might see me in the street, Uber driver, but you don't know me. When you holler, when you speak, remember you don't know me, Uber driver. How do you respond to that? Do you comment A, LOL, morning humor? B, put some respect on your name. C, you don't comment, you just like the status. D, you just keep scrolling. Or E, do you comment, I'm so sorry this happened to you, Jillian. I'm reading Malcolm X in my book club right now. And there are a lot of loaded reasons why you should never shorten a person of color's name. The racist history behind it is super dehumanizing. Hashtag the more you know. Hashtag the more life blows. Hashtag this isn't what we were doing. (laughs) Hashtag this status wasn't about me being black. Hashtag you know I was having a good morning until you did this. Hashtag I actually realized when I looked at my Uber profile that I set my name to Jill so this was my fault. (laughs) Because I didn't want my Uber driver stalking me. And I really feel bad because I gave that driver one star. I know. I know. I'll never get that back. He'll never get that back. It's whatever. Um, Don't do that, though. Don't do that. (laughs) I had someone do that to me. And I was like, ma'am, it is 6 a.m. Did you really think? No. 
<laughs> no, seriously, being an ally isn't important. Um, don't do any of the things I said. I think one of the most important about parts of being an ally is just being there, just listening, you know what I mean? Just not talking. Um, just don't. No, uh, I'm serious. Let me see what other notes I have here. Ooh. Ooh. Go to a third world country and take pictures on Instagram. Because that's important. Or just go to a protest in general. Because it's like, if you go to a protest and you don't Instagram it, are you really an ally? Uh, screenshot your donation to Planned Parenthood and the ACLU. Even though like the ACLU supports freedom of speech for people in the KKK. But it's whatever. We don't ever bring that up. Because um, of the other stuff they do. It's cool, though. It's cool. Um, also, like, adopt a kid from a third world country instead of one in the United States and then, like, raise them in a household without their culture and then wonder why they're fucked up in life. <laughs> oh. These are all things that happen. <laughs> I didn't make these things up. Ooh! Ruin a party by talking about how misogynistic rap music is. Oh my gosh, do you know how sexist the song Hotline Bling is? The shit blows, right? You're at a party, it comes on, and you're like, fuck you, Drake. So what if I want to go out more and dress less? You don't get to make me feel bad about it while you were on tour. Yeah, I got more stamps in my passport, but that's okay. And you're at this party screaming at this young man, and the young man's like, I just thought you were attractive. And you're like, wait, wait, I'm not really a feminist. That was a bit. No, no, no. Come back. Come back. No, sir, come back. No, no, no. I don't talk this much. But also, like, I do, but you're so cute, but... I'm going to be single forever. No, I know I just ruined this party for everyone. No, I don't want to hear Future because he's a terrible father. Yeah. My type of feminist is like Amber Rose, like, you know, like where you like date openly misogynistic rappers, but then you're a feminist. <gasps> Woo! That is my type of feminist. <laughs> That's my type of feminist, like definitely. Like, now nah, I'm going to date all these rappers who are disrespectful to women, but it's cool because respect women. I'm just saying. Uh, no, yeah, definitely if you're an ally, reblog, feminist boasts, like by Lena Dunham and like Amy Schumer because they're not problematic. Ooh. And Taylor Swift. <laughs> for Miley Cyrus like when she was like when she came out with her song and it didn't like get any traction but then I was like see you know what if you wouldn't have hated on hip hop none of this would have happened you could have just released your country song and no one would have cared and now she's suffering no I I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up let me see if I have any more points for you guys huh oh what's I can't read my chicken scratch oh make sure you pray for Paris and make sure you set your filters on your uh, profile picture. Like, it's important that your picture of you in Tijuana in a bathing suit has, like, uh, the Paris flag over it. Because, like, we know you're partying in Mexico, but you also care. Thank you, guys. That's my time. I'm going to out myself. When she said, pray for Paris as a joke, I was like, Paris Hilton? <laughs> and then I was like, shh, don't tell anyone you thought that. Um, 
We're going to have our debate now. Ooh, our rock'em, sock'em, bloodthirsty debate between our two contenders. Our first contender is Roxanne West. Come on up, Roxanne. Roxanne West is a Chicago improviser and former speech team participant that is thrilled to be back to debate at the Skewer. When not performing with her independent team, the Manson Family Players, Roxanne is usually screaming. And Ian Rigg. When he's not seeking harmony in the universe through words, Ian Rigg is creating it on stage. He is a Jeff-nominated actor with a passion for music, photography, poetry, film, fashion, friendship. Yes. (laughs) I'm so passionate for you, friend. David Bowie and Apple Pie a la mode. An artistic astronaut with an amazingly apt application of alliteration in his arsenal. Ian believes words are the truest power we wield on this swiftly tilting planet. Our debate topic. In June, after weeks of secret deliberations, Republican Senate leadership released their version of the bill to overhaul U.S. health care. The bill includes insane cuts to Medicare, a psychotic tax cut to the wealth, for the wealthy, <laughs> to the wealthy, for the wealthy, and will result in loss of life and life savings to thousands, potentially millions of Americans. But without a doubt, the most deranged, lunatic proposals of this bill those closed-door conservative ideas too daft and demented for public consumption were left behind in that secret GOP conference room. The question is, what was the craziest proposed provision in the original Senate health care bill? Roxanne, what position will you be debating? My position is that the crazy part of the Republican health care bill that was left behind on the cuttering floor was that they were going to have a health care app for the iPhone, a game. And Ian. A health troubleshooting app. What position will you be taking? That it was a mandate for health care coverage from Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Roxanne, why don't you kick us off? Okay. Perfect. All right. Last month... Republican leadership in the Senate released a health care bill that would endanger millions of Americans while granting a hefty tax cut to the richest of the rich. Built in secret, despised by the public, this legislation is brazenly cruel. But if this is what they've released, what could possibly be left on the cutting room floor? My opponent believes that it would be a mandate that insurance companies cover Dr. Pepper, the soda. But this could not be the case. Coverage? Mandate companies? Soda? No. This Chicago girl, born and raised in a city built on corruption and greed, knows that those are all pure nonsense words. For people this transparently motivated by making a dime at everyone else's cost, obviously this bill would involve some plot to turn a profit. To quote one of my all-time favorite TV shows, I Love the 90s, (laughs) show me the money! (laughs) So, obviously, originally the Republican Senate wanted to include a health troubleshooting game for the iPhone. Now, when I first received this prompt, I didn't know what to do. I've never... (laughs) 
I've never owned an iPhone, and the only phone game that I've ever played was a Who Wants to Be a Millionaire branded trivia game that I played with my mom until someone got too competitive and mean. <laughs> but then I realized not knowing what I'm talking about puts me in the perfect headspace to explain Republican logic. Because if I don't get some part of technology, there's no way that these old sex apples have a clue what's going on. And even better, there is nothing that they crave more than to decide upon what they don't know, like a uterus, or raising a child that never tortures a dog to death. <laughs> It was probably just like my dad when my dad tries to give comedy advice. Hey, I got an idea for your little Bill. Something about an app. <laughs> and then Mitch McConnell promptly fell asleep in his chair while storage war blares. <laughs> while an iPhone health troubleshooting game sounds benign, helpful even, it would provide the perfect avenue for the targeted data mining that advertisers love. And with healthcare becoming less and less available, they could turn basic medicine and care into conspicuous consumption. So you know, it's like when I look at boots on my phone when I'm online shopping, then all of a sudden it appears as a banner ad on my work computer. Only this time, instead of someone seeing an ad and thinking, oh man, I wish I got those boots. You know what? I'm gonna splurge a little. I deserve it. It'd be, oh man, I wish I could get that rape kit. You know what? I'm going to splurge a little. I deserve it. Instead of designer clothes and music festivals, Instagram models can show off their insulin pumps and getting into the most exclusive <laughs> mental health facilities. Instead of your elderly aunt asking for extra lives in Candy Crush, she'll have to ask for your help to purchase some sort of waiver to stop Rand Paul from coming into her home and personally breaking apart her rascal with a hammer while she's forced to watch. <laughs> Instead of birth control, a little gift from Newman from Jurassic Park going, uh-uh-uh, uh-uh-uh, will pop up in the screen, sponsored by BuzzFeed Partners. <laughs> and we'll all laugh and laugh and laugh because it's from a movie, remember? <laughs> bodies to grow more cannon fodder, even more women will get to die a horrific death, since we're already at triple the maternal maturity rate than any other country within a stone's throw of our resources. So who knows what depraved bloody depths we can plumb. USA, USA, USA! You know, fun fact, currently 6% of all block grants for maternal and child health care go to the health of mothers. Our lives are such nightmares already. So uh, why not force a child to fruit ninja their way to a round of chemo? You know, I'd call it Kafka-esque if I didn't know for a fact that the body of some gross, giant-ass bug would be far more respected than my own body as a human woman right now. Some days I wake up and think, damn, still not a bug. <laughs> you know, a bug's never had some stranger accidentally bump their erection against their back while in a crowded red line. No, a, bu a bug gets to go home in peace to eat leftover pad thai and watch the newest episode of Twin Peaks, which is all that she asks from for this world at this point. <laughs> like Athena bursting forth from Zeus's head, so has this bill been born. 
You know, but like if Zeus was a big old dummy, dummy and Athena just fucking sucked. <laughs> the Republican establishment has already demonstrated their arrogance, ignorance, and complete disregard for human life and dignity. This is perfectly exemplified by what has to be the missing piece of legislature, an iPhone app for healthcare. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Roxanne. Throwing down the gauntlet. Now we'll hear from Ian Rigg. Hello, mortals. I'd shake your hands, but, well, sadly, the same reason I can't pet puppies. I've been called many names throughout the eons. The Grim Reaper. Thanatos. Shinigami. You can call me Bryce, on a kind of, well, that's my name. <laughs> no one ever thinks to just, like, ask. They're always like, it's not my time! Or, I never told Sharon I loved her! Or, in the case of the bloviated fleshbag trying to deprive millions of Americans' health care, Mitch McConnell. Ha-ha, not so fast, Bryce. Can't you see I bear the Celtic death god sigil of protection? <laughs> Every single time I go to collect whatever pittance of a soul he has left. And believe me, that dude makes Voldemort look like he regularly watches baby animal videos on Upworthy. He invokes my old uncle, Kron Kruik. But there's no mistaking it, he carries the mark. That turkey neck prevents me from claiming him. All that P90X is keeping me away from Paul Ryan. For that weasel, I really hope it's something classic, like a piano falling from a fourth-story window. The office of president is currently usurped by a crudely constructed mech suit steered by fascist hamsters, so I'm afraid that's outside my jurisdiction. That's the pets division. But if I could, I'd come for all of them, the entire Republican Party, because unlike Republicans, I care for you human beings. I may haunt you, but I am haunted by you in turn. <laughs> you humans are so remarkable. You strap swords to your shoes and glide over frozen bodies of water. You say, screw you, Sir Isaac Newton, and cast off the bounds of earth and pillars of fire. You cling together in times of woe. You chain pens to desks. You are primates. <laughs> You are primates who oppress one another over differences in pelt color. You persevere and prevail despite the fact, or in spite of the fact, that to the inhabitants of the future, you're all ghosts. I've seen you do so much good and commit so much evil, but now something so sinister has transpired that I feel compelled to unfurl my obsidian cloak of invisibility, manifest before you clad in ebony, and have my say. I've witnessed pestilence, famine, world wars, and several Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> but never anything as incomprehensibly cruel as the GOP conspiracy to repeal the Affordable Care Act. They want to take away the already sparse health care coverage of poor people, disabled people, senior citizens, new mothers, and children. You don't want to see the list of how many people could die. And to add insult to injury, with no coverage for that injury, they drafted it in secret like Sauron forging the One Ring. 
They retreated to the back halls of Washington where no one was watching. But I'm always watching. <laughs> Death always skulks through the halls of Washington, D.C. I witnessed the depth of their barbarity as they converged to concoct heartless legislation. Let me, let me take you through one of their sickening sessions. Despite an apparent stranglehold on the U.S. government, they still can't seem to pass anything. So they resort to satanic rituals and a vain hope to alleviate their incompetence with demonic will. So they sacrifice a summer intern, offer his heart up to Baal, and a spatial wren rips through the pentagram. An unholy howl emanates through the congressional chambers with a blood-curdling chill, and the demon king himself emerges through the rift in space-time. And when they beseech him with their plan, even he's like, whoa, you want to strip 22 million Americans of their health care? What the fuck, guys? That's... That is super fucked up. Satan, out. Only that doesn't stop them. They continue to conspire, cackling, while Ted Cruz sits in the corner malevolently stroking several cans of soup. <laughs> they begin to toss out increasingly vile and ludicrous legislation, like a bill to prevent the poor from having luxuries like insulin. The most ridiculous idea? A mandate that insurance plans offer coverage by Dr. Pepper. No, not a curiously named MD. Forrest Gump's favorite soft drink. I don't need to remind you of your college floor mate's thesis on high fructose corn syrup as a form of structural oppression for you to realize how utterly insane that is. <laughs> Dr. Pepper is about as good for your health as, well, me. That's 23 flavors and 23 fucks they don't give about human compassion. <laughs> the only thing that leaves me craving is to rend the souls from their ill-fitted suits and personally escort them to perdition. May they know a fraction of the suffering they inflict upon the downtrodden, for there is no ice-cold refreshment where they're going. <laughs> Thank you. Well, some uh, blasts of opening statements. Uh, now we're going to have the question and answer period. This first question is for Death slash Bryce. Uh, just as a cardiologist specializes in the heart, uh, obviously the most easily treatable conditions for Dr. Pepper would be to address ennui and malaise, that which requires pep. Uh, what were some of the other proposed specialties that Dr. Pepper would be most uh, suited to treat? As you can see, I am all about zest and energy. <laughs> and Dr. Pepper would be used to alleviate the symptoms of the broken-down bodies of our late capitalist machine. So you see, you would uh, toil and toil upon the hamster wheel that is our bourgeois society until the Dr. Pepper would enervate you in order to return to toil at the factory at which the blood of the workers oils its greasy cogs. You see, it reminds me of how utterly appalling modern-day conservatism has become. You see, many, many years ago, there was a man who I came to fear so that I had to claim him in his sleep. He was an imperialist bastard, but a tough mofo, as you kids would say. His name was Theodore Roosevelt, and 
His brand of conservatism was just that, conservatism. What today is, is only conserving space upon the river sticks for low-income housing, where they are quickly seeking to send it all unless we make a stand, the living and the dead. Uh, Roxanne, it's a given that poor people have iPhones. That's why they're poor. But what about rich people who are thrifty and still have Blackberries and AOL accounts? Shall they be deprived of access to this app and its sound medical care just for having good financial sense? Thank you, Erica. I believe that it would help bring these elderly people, the people who have that great sound financial sense, more in touch with those younger than them who have iPhones. So basically, it's a win-win. They get to talk to, you know, their nieces, their grandchildren, their mistresses more (laughs) by asking, hey, what's going on with my leg? Can you check it on your device? And they're like, John, you can just, I gave you an iPhone for Christmas. Why don't you check that? And you'll be like, I threw it away. (laughs) I threw it away. Now what's going on with my leg? So I think it'd be a win-win from a Republican standpoint. Uh, death given the assured success of the proposed crazy notion of the Dr. Pepper healthcare option do you, did, 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 the, did the Republicans imagine that one day the program would expand to other doctors like Dr. Bronner Dr. Hauschka and Dr. Dre I know for a fact that Dr. Oz is poised to make a killing before. You see, the, the Dr. Pepper alleviates so many symptoms. See, you have a throat ache, the, the carbonated tickliness will soothe your, your parched, dilapidated throat. And you see <laughs> the munificence of Dr. Pepper will be granted unto all under their auspicious and odious new plans. Are these... Uh, I I watched several students take an AP test once. They certainly felt as if I was in their embrace. I I solely apologize to those children. My lexicon spans many, many eons. Hopefully this healthcare plan will not. Roxanne. Given what was assumed that they imagined was the 100% undoubted success of the iPhone gamified healthcare plan, did they also imagine making uh, emergency rooms obsolete and replaced with iPhone stores or perhaps with predatory loans? Oh, definitely predatory loans (laughs) because an iPhone store would require hiring people, specifically nerds. They are not about that. And uh, last question for both of you. Did single-payer healthcare come up in that secret conference room, or was that too crazy even for behind closed doors? Yes, but in like a strangulation fetish type of a thing. They're like laughing and laughing like, we're going to kill so many people. It would be crazy if we, you know, did it. 
come on me, Mitch. So. <laughs> There was far too much pulling themselves up by the bootstraps to even discuss anything other than Dr. Pepper's benefits to healthcare, as well as how it could expand out replacing arrhythmia medications with beats by Dr. Dre. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that concludes the question and answer portion of this debate. Now we have closing statements, and since death got to go second... In the opening, death will go first. That doesn't usually happen. (laughs) Now, I know me being here is a little awkward, seeing how I will one day claim each and every one of your souls. But you must believe me when I say I root for the welfare of all humans. After all, haven't I left Stan Lee alone? You inhabit this swinging sphere for such a brief while, and you should spend what precious little time you have living free from fear and unjust insurance companies. With every bone in my, well, skeleton, I abhor the Republican Party and their nefarious schemes to give tax cuts to the wealthy while stealing the figurative and literal lifeblood of the poor. While it's unclear how low the depths of their depravity go, I know where we can draw a line. A troubleshooting game for the iPhone is absolutely ridiculous, yes, but at least that offers a glimmer of hope. I've been known to offer a sporting chance to escape by playing a game. See, for example, a critically acclaimed black-and-white Swedish film where I play chess. But leaving Medicare coverage to Dr. Pepper? That is absolutely insane. They'd be better off under the care of Dr. Nick Riviera. (laughs) There has been much of human behavior that befuddles me, but none so much as that of the Republican Party. They spend countless wealth on weaponry in the name of defense, and yet would allow thousands to die of easily preventable diseases. They scream for the protection of fetuses, but would snatch away coverage from expectant mothers and deem the infant a freeloader the second it exits the womb. I've been a custodian for Vlad the Impaler, yet I've never seen such a resolute determination by sadistic, opulent old white men to turn their constituency into graveyards. We must defy them at every turn. You are all so ephemeral. You are all so precious. I visited enough of your kind yesterday after many of you decided to mix Jägermeister, Red Bull, and fireworks. I cannot bear to lose a single one of you to the nefarious clutches of Mitch McConnell and company. Farewell, crazy cool cats of the skewer. I'll see you sooner than you think. A huge part of the health care bill that is especially heinous, but that it also exists in part right now in our current health care system, is the idea of being denied coverage due to pre-existing conditions. I wasn't lying when I said that I've never played iPhone games like Candy Crush or Farmville, but I definitely have gotten requests from aunts, friends of my parents, and people I barely knew from high school. I think most of us have had that experience. And the first impression and the joke that surrounded those requests was that the only people who needed to do this were weak, foolish, irresponsible, and the confused elderly. But as soon as I started playing that Who Wants to Be a Millionaire trivia game, I was sending out lifelines left and right. 
I never played Candy Crush, so I never needed to ask for a life. But the way that the game is set up, how it makes a profit, is that as soon as my aunt, for example, starts playing, she will have to eventually ask for a life. To play the game is to begin to die. We've all been born, which means right now we're all dying. So there's no such thing as a pre-existing condition. Welcome to the comedy show, folks. Um, um, but we all want for ourselves and our loved ones to keep playing for as long as possible and to our fullest ability. And right now, insurance companies and our government have conspired to make asking for help at our most vulnerable moments as shameful as a mafia war's request. Only for the weak, the foolish, the irresponsible, the elderly. But it's not selfish to want to live. It's selfish to charge someone thousands of dollars because they needed an ambulance. So no, I don't think they'd create a mandate to cover Dr. Pepper. It's not selfish enough. A healthcare app would fulfill a Republican's biggest kink, making money off of denying people their basic dignity and then turning around and acting like they're doing people some huge favor. It would turn our health care into something silly, shameful, and profitable. But as Republicans look to the internet as a model to profit off of and delegitimize our pain, I hope someday that we can model health care instead on my elderly aunt's social media presence <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> and without any shame whatsoever. I want birth control to be as plentiful as the cartoons my aunt shares on Facebook of some old lady going, don't wake me till I've had my coffee. <laughs> Plans should be as customizable and specific to each of us as the many collages my aunt posts online, like the one that consists of a field of pink tulips, Mary, mother of God, and the mascot from Jollibee, because she is a grown woman who knows what she is about. <laughs> Emergency services should be like the memes that she shares that are like a badly photocopied picture of Tweety Bird but saying something needlessly cruel. <laughs> I didn't know I needed it, but boy, am I glad to have it and for free. <laughs> P.S. Dr. Pepper sucks. So, thank you. <laughs> well, there you have it. Two compelling cases. Now we are in need of our impartial volunteer judge. Perhaps you. Excellent. She's agreed, everyone. If you believe... Now, all you need to do as the impartial volunteer judge is just decide who got the louder applause. And we're about to get that data momentarily. If you believe that the craziest provision of the health care plan left on the cutting room floor was that... Care would be mandated by, uh, coverage would be covered by Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Give a round of applause for death. <laughs> and if you believe that the craziest provision was that there would be an iPhone healthcare app, give a round of applause. And thus, the skewer debate skewer goes to Roxanne. Thank you so much.
Well, that's our show for the evening, everybody. I've been your host, Eric Dreisbach. Stop by the next first day, Wednesday of the month, next month, for our next Hot as Hell Skewer show. Sign up for the email list, buy some merch, talk to us, make friends. It's going to be great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Skewer podcast. If you liked what you heard, why not, you know, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And also throw us a review while you're at it. Why not? It's fun. It helps. Also, if you want to come to a live show, we are, of course, again, every first Wednesday of the month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago at 8 p.m. If you want to be on the show, yo, go ahead and email us at skewerchicago at gmail.com uh, or message us on Facebook or at facebook.com slash theskewerchicago. Is it confusing that our email doesn't have a the in front of the skewer and our Facebook does have a the in front of the skewer? Uh, yeah. Well, what can you do? It's, it, it's happened. We can't undo it. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next month. Goodbye.